I'm your host, David Nage. This is Baselayer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Baselayer podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of ARCA, where David Nage is a principal. ARCA is not responsible and does not verify for accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast series available for listening. The primary purpose of this podcast series is to educate and inform. The podcast series does not constitute financial advice or other professional advice or services. Please do your own research. Baselayer is sponsored by Diginex and by its digital asset exchange, Equas. As an exchange, Equas is focused on delivering innovative product compliance, fairness, and most importantly, trust. In a time when institutional investors are beginning to seriously review digital assets for their portfolio, these are key elements necessary to build bridges to new investors. Equas currently provides digital asset spot trading and perpetual futures and plans to soon offer dated futures and options. Parent company Diginex also provides capital markets advisory asset management, and custody. To check them out, you can go to diginex.com and equos.io. That is E-Q-U-O-S.io. This is David, and this is your new episode of Baselayer, and it's a great one. going to have a great new partnership with the folks here at Diginex. I have Richard Byworth with me, the Chief Executive Officer at Diginex. Richard, how are you? David, I'm great. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well. And as I said, we have a new partnership and sponsorship with you folks and looking forward to doing this for the next few weeks and months. Uh, Before we get too far into that and everything else, uh, we are here, obviously, to talk about what you all are doing there. And there's a lot of exciting news. Uh, But before we get into too much of what Diginex is doing and all the different components and parts and platforms that you have been building, we always like to talk a little bit about our guests' past uh, how they got into this world of digital assets, if you will, what really inspired that move. Uh, as you, uh, as people will find out, you were you spent time at Nomura as a managing director and head of multi-strategy sales in the Asia-Pacific region for quite a long time, and you've had most of your body of work in the traditional finance world. So I know that a few different books and a few different pieces along the way have inspired you into this world, but really want to hone in. For those that are listening to family offices and institutional investors, they get very interested in what inspires someone coming from traditional finance, air quotes, into this new world. So explain it if you could. What really led you down this path? What really energized you to be a part of this? Yeah, look, thanks, David, for the introduction. Yeah, look, so I, I spent 20 years of, of my career in traditional finance. Uh, I started off as a trader in London um, for derivative and convertible bond product. Uh, then I moved out to Tokyo, where I started my, uh, my venture into uh, distribution. Uh, so I was selling uh, derivative products uh, to hedge funds and to some family offices as well. And we, um, yeah, effectively built out the team. We acquired Lehman Brothers in, in 2008 in Tokyo for, for Nomura. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that, that in itself was a, obviously a very interesting experience. Um, and, uh, but obviously with what happened with 2008, 
the immediate response to to save all the banks was to to turn around and just start printing money excessively. And I, I always just struggled to fathom what was really going on. Um, I remember spending a lot of time with the economists and strategists within the banks and just say, no, but, no, but actually, you know, where does this come from? How are we not just, you know, frittering away our money and, mm -hmm. and debasing it? And obviously, you know, that, that was what was happening and, and, and everybody kind of would talk in sort of grand circles around what quantitative easing is and what, you know, Operation Twist was. Right. But, it, you know, eventually what was really happening was we, we, were, we were starting to see major inflation. And living in Asia, I mean, I moved to Hong Kong in 2009. Mm. Um, you know, the price of property has not stopped ramping uh, since that point in time. And, the, you know, when you, when you live in a, a city like Hong Kong, it's, it's hard to find a, uh, you know, a, an international school that you're not paying for. So, you know, every year your school fees are getting ramped. Mm -hmm. um, your holidays that you're going on are getting more and more expensive. Mm -hmm. And so you could just see that this was happening, even though the CPI number was, was so low that, that it, it was deceiving everyone that there was nothing going on here right. and there was nothing to see. And so I, I became very obsessed by this. I started buying gold um, to protect my assets and wanted to make sure that, you know, I wasn't just sitting there in, in, in cash and, and, you know, obviously allocated more and more to the stock market. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and then in 2017, I read the book Sapiens. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd, uh, I'd actually, back in 2009, kicked a kicked a bunch of guys off my desk for just talking about Bitcoin all day. Um, I was like, why are you talking about this internet money? Just, just focus on selling derivatives. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, and so in reading that book, and I was, I was also very, uh, very upset with what happened with Brexit. And obviously Trump had, uh, had surprised a lot of people um, with, with that election, even himself, I think. And um, yeah, I just was looking at the world and kind of looking for answers of what was going on. And, and this book, Sapiens, sort of really nicely framed society and belief mechanisms and talked about money mm -hmm. and how, you know, money's a belief mechanism. And, mm -hmm. and so um, started talking about Bitcoin a lot. And I was like, why on earth is he talking about Bitcoin? And so I started looking into it and, and studying it and, uh, and understanding what it was. And I invested... Uh, actually, in this this company, Diginex, that back then was uh, doing cryptocurrency mining, is really just a yield play on this asset class. Mm -hmm. uh, as I started to get uh, comfortable with it, and then obviously, what happened in 2017 really started to to go crazy. Um, and obviously, that then really focuses your attention um, to look at it harder. And then I started buying Bitcoin. Got it. Um, just just dipping my toe as I understood it more. And then really when it all crashed in, in tail end of 2018, that was the point where I said, okay, this is, this is my opportunity. Um, I'm going to start buying some Bitcoin now. So go. that was really the journey and to sort of frame how Diginex evolved from a cryptocurrency mining company. I mean, it was, it was actually about that time where I decided that I was, uh, frustrated with with traditional uh, banking, um, mm -hmm. I was actually moving into venture capital uh, and looking at just you know allocating to startups and early stage companies. Obviously, Diginex was one of my own personal investments that I'd mm -hmm. made. 
And um, when I walked out of Nomura, the founder, who I, I knew very well, we'd, we'd actually worked together in Tokyo for some time, um, said to me, look, if, if you're leaving banking, there is a huge, huge opportunity uh, in, this, in this space. Wow. And so we started talking and, and framing uh, what, what we saw the landscape progressing into. And I guess we'll, we'll talk about that a bit today. But um, that's kind of how I landed here. Really interesting kind of journey through this. Uh, for anyone who has not read Harari, I definitely recommend you doing that. That also has had an imprint on many people within this space because it talks about the history of money. And you see that money has had all sorts of mechanisms, whether it was seashells, whether it was things like barley, and uh, all through the progressions and how we started to need to create some sort of a debt mechanism. And so we created cash and then where we've gone all the way to this day, where even my children start asking me, why does the $20 bill have, you know, valued as $20? What's, what is it supported by? What is it backed by? What is it, what's behind it? And so, you know, there's all these questions and, and you know, Harari also does a great job of talking about how humans have really progressed through the years, you know, telling stories. And so this idea of storytelling and also uh, how that's kind of built into this whole framework of trust. And so very interesting, definitely a piece of um, reading that many people within digital assets have also shared in, uh, in confluence with. But let's digress into Diginex. So what is it? What is the mission of Diginex? And then we're going to dive into the different pieces that you all have built over the last few years. But for those that are just learning about digital assets, you know, for those that are now getting familiar with Bitcoin, uh, they no longer just say, oh, you know, XYZ person says that it's rat poison. I'm not going to pay attention to it. They've actually started to read a little bit. They've started to listen to some podcasts like ours. Um, and they are more familiar with it now than they were two years ago. They are still learning about all these different companies out there that are doing all these different interesting things. So how would you frame up what Diginex is and the mission of the company today? And then we're going to talk about all the different pieces that you've built. Sure. I think if you try and think about it is what it is from a, a sort of a step back, this is what I perceive the future of you know, a NASDAQ exchange to look like. This is what I perceive the private banking that sort of wraps around that looks like. And actually investment banking all blended into one. So you've got the effective future that's facilitated by this new technology that allows for the transmission of digital securities, let's say, down the road. Um, but also at this moment in time, because that's, uh, I would say that's a moment in time that's probably three to five years away where we start to see a real emergence of what are referred to often as security tokens or digital securities in a much more broad adoption cycle. But I think <clears throat> the opportunity set now that Diginex addresses is more, is more around the growth of the virtual currency and smart contract protocol token um, um, arena. Mm -hmm. So if you think about everything that Diginex is doing, we've got Equos, which is our exchange, sitting bang in the middle of that ecosystem. You've got a custodian because custody is the biggest issue, mm -hmm. I would say, for institutional investors, making sure that they've got a custodian that they can actually 
say this is a regulated custodian that is that is you know certified and accredited to a level where we can actually have you know comfort leaving our our digital assets so digivault which is mm -hmm. the name of our custodian is based in london it's been built and designed by an ex uh, government security services team from the uk um, and it is Crest certified. It's Cyber Essentials Plus accredited. So Cyber Essentials Plus is a um, it's an accreditation that was designed by the Ministry of Defence in the mm. UK for cyber security. We're actually the only digital asset firm that has that accreditation. Wow! Um, so we're extremely proud of that. And we've obviously gone through uh, the process of reg registering for the new AMLD five regulation for KYC and ML. Mm -hmm. uh, around that business, but also uh, in the process of going through uh, uh, regulatory approval for an FCA, uh, which is the U UK regulator, um, custodian license for digital securities. So right. that's the that's the real foundational piece of of the ecosystem, um, and it's something that uh, you know obviously institutional investors once they start to get an understanding of this this product set and the requirements around investing in it, custody always becomes the core focus um, for that initial, as I say, foundational moment. Right. Um, on either side of that sort of core ecosystem of the exchange and the custodian, we have, um, we have a trading system. So it's, mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's called Diginex Access. Mm -hmm. um, it's like we, we refer to it as a multi-venue uh, trading hub for algos and, and spread trading so you can mm -hmm. actually connect to other exchanges through that and and monitor your spread trading and your uh, algos through mm -hmm. that platform it's interesting again for institutional investors because it plugs directly into front arena which is uh, the portfolio management system of fis the, mm -hmm. the world's largest trading technology um, firm in the world um, and then it's also plugging into uh, T-Bricks, uh, which is the same portfolio management system for Itivity. Hmm. Um, so, so really the idea is that, you know, you've got Hedge Fund A uh, that uses T-Bricks uh, for their portfolio management. They can then go to Itivity and say, okay, look, I want your crypto trading module. Right. And then they plug in Diginex Access. Okay. And so then that, that exactly right. So we've obviously partnered with those two very institutional technology providers to provide that. Um, and that obviously allows, allows all institutional investors to, to get much broader access to the industry. Right. And then uh, we have an asset management business uh, called Bletchley Park Asset Management. Uh, we run a fund of fund. Um, so that's fund of funds focused on the crypto industry. Mm -hmm. So again, if you're thinking from an institutional perspective, oh, I don't, you know, I might not want to trade Bitcoin or try and work out how to trade it or, or, or hold it. Right. Then, you know, we've built this product that's focused very much on market neutral and alpha centric strategies that you can see allocations coming in guys going, okay, yeah, this is a very different uncorrelated asset class. Mm -hmm. I can actually extract real alpha from this. I mean, you, you David, you know well. Yep. You look across the sort of the the hedge fund space right now, trying to extract alpha across strategies is extremely hard. <laughs> um, getting anywhere anywhere near ten percent is is just ridiculously hard these days. Right. And so when you've got this brand new asset class with alpha all over the place and momentum strategies, 
algorithmic, uh, arbitrage. Um, obviously, there's all the fun to be had with long short as you move mm -hmm. into into the altcoin space. Um, but there's you know there's a lot of alpha to be generated in this new asset class. A lot of volatility, obviously, right. and so. So it is really interesting return profiles uh, of some of these funds. And what's also interesting in this space is you can actually invest directly in market making strategies. Okay. Which you, it's really hard to do in traditional finance. Like, you know, Susquehanna is a, is a great example of a strategy that's, that's super successful that you will never get access to mm -hmm. in the traditional space. Whereas in the crypto space, you can start to get uh, access to some of these market making strategies that are enormously profitable right as well right um, and then you know obviously that's the the sort of the focus on virtual currencies and uh, and tokens um, but then on top of all of that sits our investment bank which is called Diginex capital which is is actually an advisory uh, firm around securitization mm -hmm. uh, we do, we deliver paper securities as well as provide our investors the option to, to take it in a smart contract form, so digital security. Mm -hmm. um, so we effectively, the new age of investment bank uh, is what we do there. That's uh, out of the UK. So again, under an FCA regulated entity for corporate finance and for distribution of securities. But yeah, that's the, the whole thing. A little bit of everything. That's really good. Um, I want to talk a little bit more specifically about Equos and about Digivault. So <clears throat> for those that are getting familiar with exchanges, there have been the Coinbases of the world, there have been the Binances of the world, some of them that have captured more of the news and marketing, if you will, that is more broadly based out there. And they all have their pros, they all have some of their cons, but I think what's really interesting is that specifically you all at Diginex and Equos have addressed four things that are just core to that. Compliance, fairness, trust, and security. Why, and I think it's really interesting, it's valuable, but why is it necessary to point out those four pillars in this space? Why is that so important for institutional investors to hear? Well, I think, you know, it, it's funny. I get this this question a lot from, from early investors into this industry. It's like, why are you guys so, so compliance focused? And I'm like, well, you need to be compliance focused because otherwise institutional investors, as they start to get to the point of investing, they, they want to make sure that they are not dealing with someone that is laundering money or, mm -hmm. you know, providing aid to terrorist financing or whatever it might be. Yep. So you need to have those basic KYC and AML infrastructure in place to, to even consider onboarding to your platform. Um, we have a, a fairly rigorous process for onboarding for, for institutional accounts. And you know what? We, we get the feedback all the time. Thank God. Thank God someone is actually finally taking this seriously. Right. Um, because, yeah, look, it, it takes a little bit more time, but actually this is what the industry needs if it's going to take that step to the next level. And I think it's, it's just really, really important. You know, I mean, even me, I don't, I don't want to be buying Bitcoin that is tainted in some way. I want to make sure that I'm buying it on a platform that that Bitcoin is clean and it's not going to cause me an issue or for my kids five, 10 years down the line. Mm -hmm. 
so I, I think these are considerations that everybody always wants. Uh, we do do checks of all Bitcoin and crypto coming into the system um, to make sure that that's checked as well. So it's clean. Um, and I think this is, again, it's something relatively new to the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I think <clears throat> the, the second point you mentioned is fairness. So I think, you know, as we start to move into the product set of, you know, leveraged products and, and derivatives, we want to make sure that people have transparency around mm-hmm. the fees that they're charged, um, the funding rates that they're charged, the way that liquidations happen. Um, all of this stuff has remained extremely opaque in the industry today. And, mm-hmm. you know, people lose a lot of money because uh, of, of things that are, that are happening that potentially shouldn't. We, our market makers, for example, don't trade on our own platform. Um, they're not allowed to um, because obviously, you know, that, that's then creating a conflict of interest around client right. orders. So it's, it's just basic stuff for you and me that come from traditional finance, but it's stuff that doesn't really exist uh, in the industry today. Right. Um, and so it's, it's providing that, that sort of level of, of protection. I think the other thing is trust, obviously, you mentioned. Yep. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if you mentioned it at the beginning, but we're in the process of, of listing on NASDAQ through, through a SPAC transaction. And I think, you know, again, the reason that we decided that, that it, was, it was important for us to be listed on such a, a key and credible stock exchange was it's trust. It's a back comes back to that transparency moment as well is people can actually see what we do, our processes, our procedures. We have to adhere to SEC standards and, and, and NASDAQ standards for listing. Um, and so it just gives, again, that level of credibility where, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure you saw that the Quadriga, Quadriga yes. exchange in, in Canada where the, you know, people had their money, all of their money taken right. uh, by, by the founder. And so, you know, I had plenty of people say to me, I've, you know, I've been wanting to invest in Bitcoin for some time, but I just don't want to send a large amount of money to, to one of these exchanges and just hope for the best. So I think that's always an important point is the trust. And then there's security, obviously, is a big, a big part of everything uh, that, I think all exchanges in the industry have really woken up to this fact. Obviously, there were some some quite frightening hacks that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, security always has to be an enormous focus um, for for all of the players in our industry. Absolutely, and it is worth noting again. You know, obviously, Richard brought it up in passing through. You know, obviously, some of the keystone pieces of you know equos and about what they're building there but obviously the the spac and the listing are incredibly important in the maturation of digital assets and i want to make sure that people understand this that a few years ago the idea of this happening did not exist it was not possible it was not something that anybody out there was like oh this is going to happen there's going to be you know publicly traded companies on the nasdaq or you know, the NYSE or anything like that, you know, that was not something that was even possible or even something that people were thinking about two years ago, three years ago. You know, Galaxy did their thing up in the Toronto Stock Exchange. Um, That was one of their, you know, one of the first things out there. But this is the NASDAQ. This is US-based. This is the NASDAQ. And so the maturation of this asset class is happening, and it's happening fast. So as I've said for years, and I've said this for probably four or five years to family offices and institutional investors, 
it's going to happen. And when it starts happening, it's going to happen fast. And this is one of those things that is happening, and it's happening fast. So open your eyes, spend a few minutes taking a look at, you know, the Bitcoin white paper, take a look at some of the research that's out there by, you know, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful firms that we do a lot of work with, like Adelphi Digital, everyone else out there, Masari, The Block. Things are happening, and things are happening fast. So you better wake up, you open your eyes, spend a few minutes with it, because before you know it, <laughs> you're not going to miss it, but you, there's going to be some opportunities that you wish you would have been able to uh, take advantage of, and this sounds like one of those. I want to talk a little bit about Digivault. Um, again, this idea of custody um, has been a, a bane, if you will, for family offices and institutional investors. Tell us about Digivault as it relates to the idea of cold storage, cold and hot storage, this idea of hybrid, you know, kind of storage. Explain to them what this is. You obviously alluded to the fact that even it's certified by, you know, a firm that works with the Ministry of uh, Defense there. But what exactly are the components of it? Is it cold storage or is it hot storage? Is it a mixture of this thing? How does uh, does that work? Yeah, look, we have have two options. We have both cot and hot. Uh, cold and hot. Um, we uh, we effectively run our cold storage. I I refer to it as as below freezing. Um, it's uh, effectively the so I'm, I'm sure everybody understands that the the custody of this asset doesn't mean that you're taking actual bitcoins in into mm-hmm. a vault. You're you're taking the keys mm-hmm. um, that effectively allow you to do the transaction, which is effectively what the Bitcoin is, is it's the control right. uh, of that wallet that allows you to to do the transaction. So effectively what we do is we take those keys, we take them offline and we put them <clears throat> in a physical vault uh, run by uh, a vault provider, one of the world's largest called Malka Amit. Um, Malka have uh, vaults all over the world, um, which provides us a great deal of flexibility with our offering. Um, we have you know, clients say, can I, can I get a vault stood up in Hong Kong? Can I get it stood up in Geneva? We have all those options to us. Um, the hot custody is effectively, you know, it's an online, online way of dealing with your assets. It's not quite so extreme in its protection. Um, but uh, still, we operate uh, operate the transactions out of uh, those same vaults, and so we have uh, sort of permanently online assets <clears throat> that uh, are protected uh, with uh, processes and protocols that we we've obviously taken from experience within government security, um, which which uh, as my head of head of custody once said to me, he said, uh, "Our hot hot storage is." Uh, is safer than most people's cold. Wow. So, um, yeah, look, he's, uh, he's obviously, um, someone who I have a lot of faith in. Um, he's extremely, extremely credible and well-versed in this space. Um, and he's built a product that is, is exceptional. It's world-class. Um, what I, what I recently understood from clients was that the big differentiator of digital was that it was actually, outside the United States. Hmm. <laughs> I, I didn't quite understand that initially in, in, until sort of this, this Chinese client that was sitting in front of me said, well, I don't want my assets stored in the United States. Oh, That's yes. why I've never used a custodian. Oh, yes. 
the different world that we live in now. Yes, that could be a, that could be a thing. Yes. Well, yeah, it, it it is, and we've had this feedback a lot. And um, obviously, you know, you know all the big custodians in this mm -hmm. space. They're all U.S. based. Yep. So uh, I think a lot of people are thinking about that. Obviously, from a tax perspective but also a confisc confiscation perspective wow. uh, around centralized entities. Um, you know, it, <clears throat> it's, it's an interesting time we're going into. Um, that is quite honestly not something that is, that is not something I thought of. That is really, really, that is a global macro kind of big trend that I could be quite honest with you. Obviously I spend 24, seven, 365 in this. I did not think that it was going to be an issue, but obviously now with a trade war, Obviously, now with the things that are happening between the U.S. government and the Chinese government, with you know, you know, some of the technology patents and some of the restrictions and the tariffs, that is very, very interesting insight, Richard. Wow. Yeah. Look, it's um, the world's changing, right? Yep. Um, yeah. You only need to look at 2020 to to see wow. uh, how much we've drastically changed already. Wow. Um, but yeah, interesting times. So I want to get some of your thoughts. You, you talked a lot about Equos and you talked about, you know, obviously the volumes and about the data. So we don't need to talk about that. But I want to talk about some of the things that are happening outside of the broader digital asset landscape. Um, and one of the biggest things that has happened right now, and I'm sure you can appreciate this coming from more of a derivatives background, is the idea of decentralized finance, uh, open finance. This idea that you are now able to, quote unquote, make unproductive assets productive. And we've seen this massive explosion in opportunity sets, whereas you can take a otherwise unproductive asset, quote unquote. Again, this is not my words, but this is something that people say. Something like Ethereum, something like Makers Die, and then go to platforms and effectively create collateralizations where you're getting APYs that are very handsome um, and do that over and over and over again. Uh, and this is the idea of yield farming, if you will. And so I would love to get your thoughts uh, coming from traditional finance for all those years that you were on desks and all those years you spent on derivatives to now into you know, your role at Diginex. What do you think of this world of DeFi and how does Diginex kind of fall into that? Yeah, look, I mean, we're, we're obviously a centralized exchange. We're a centralized business in what we do. We do obviously believe very strongly in having accounts and accountability uh, for investors um, and making sure that, you know, KYC and AML is implemented. Mm -hmm. um, I think this DeFi experiment for certain, I mean, this is, is part of the reason that we all go into the industry. Yep. It's like, the way that finance is going to be disrupted by this technology. Mm -hmm. um, I do worry about, as you said, I mean, I don't know how much many of your listeners are aware of the ridiculous yields yes. that are being posted on some of these assets and the, the fact that some of these assets are falling to zero almost immediately. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, it, I, I, I do feel that our industry has a credibility problem. Mm -hmm. um, and I worry that this particular greed-based um, frenzy um, is going to give us another, another black mark and, and set us back a little bit. Mm. I mean, when it comes to the, 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 the progress that's being made and some of the, 
you know, smart contract utilizations that are being done. I mean, sure, look, it's super interesting. And this is this is kind of the feeling out of what this industry is going to look like in the future. Um, but I, you know, I just say it's sort of fringe. It's very, very early. Yep. And obviously it's because of those same numbers you mentioned, it's inspiring a level of greed and excitement in people. And, you know, when it comes to investing, those sorts of emotions aren't generally that helpful. Right. Um, and uh, it generally ends in tears. So I'm sure you saw some of the, some of the recent, some that, yes, uh, yes uh, tearful episodes. Yes. Um, yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, obviously supportive of the growth and the furtherment and the innovation for the industry. But I think, you know, we do, you know, people like your firm and our firm, you know, we, we have to be the sort of the, the people that are trying to drive forward the message to those institutional people and, and help them understand this industry and probably not be too focused on what's going on in the fringes in this more experimental space. Right. I think my analogy that I've been kind of playing with, and it was interesting, another conversation with one of my my children, he asked me why Uber and Lyft became a thing. And I explained to him that here on the East Coast in New York, there were the, the yellow cabs. Everyone knew about them. Everyone has probably come to New York and has taken a yellow cab if you've ever been here over the last 10 or 15, 20 years. And I explained to him that over a period of time, the quality of service kind of depreciated and things just became more cumbersome. You you know, if it was five o'clock in the afternoon and you needed to get to the airport, and I'm sure you're a world traveler, you've probably been there back in the day, you would try to get a yellow cab and it would be almost near impossible. And so then this idea of Uber and Lyft came about where you were able to use your phone, it was geolocated. The cars and the service were, you know, impeccable, uh, much better than what we were getting before, and this disruption came about. And so I think of it kind of similar, and you know, as everyone knows who has done any kind of research or, or knows the history of Uber and Lyft, they kind of went really fast. They broke some stuff, if you will. I'm saying that generously, and they obviously have evolved into two publicly traded companies that are worth billions of dollars. You know, it's kind of in the same vein where I feel in DeFi, everyone's going really fast because, you know, this thing has kind of exploded on the scene over the last year. So everyone's going incredibly fast. They're not doing all of the proper things like auditing their code before they launch their their mainnet. And then, you know, you have this thing where things will be broken. Hopefully people will not lose their money like you alluded to because obviously we're both fiduciaries. We want to make sure that people don't lose money. And Sometime in the near future, we will have some very large companies in this world of DeFi open finance that will be the Uber Lyft types that probably broke a few things, probably had a few people in tears, but have now evolved into this massive piece. And this is why you and I, and this is why your firm, and this is why other firms are out there, this thing is happening fast. This is why you are, you know, part of a SPAC and Diginex is going to be, you know, a publicly listed company, you know, vis-a-vis this SPAC. You know, things are happening, like I alluded to about 10 minutes ago, things are happening fast and innovation is happening fast. And firms like yours are coming to the forefront and offering all of these different platforms so institutional investors can get into this world smartly, intelligently. Um, and I think it's really, really interesting. So with that... Where can people find out more about Diginex and about the amazing work that you all are doing there? 
and give them some insight into how they can, you know, potentially participate in things. Sure, absolutely. I mean, look, I mean, obviously the obvious immediate participation is is the fact that we are going to be listed on NASDAQ. Um, the SPAC transaction concludes will, with the shareholder vote on the 15th of September. Um, and then we're, you know, into into the public markets. Um, the the SPAC is is called 8i Enterprises under the ticker JFK. Um, and that will be the, the vehicle that acquires Diginex. Um, if you're looking for us on social media, uh, we're at Diginex Global uh, on Twitter. Uh, we have our own page, obviously, on, on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. Um, but on Twitter for our exchange as well, we've got the handle at Equos underscore IO. Um, and that's, uh, and, and myself, you can follow me. I'm at Richard Byworth on Twitter as well. Amazing conversation. CEO of Diginex, Richard Byworth, joining me today, talking about everything that they've built, talking about a SPAC in which they will be going public and everything else in between. Richard, thank you for joining us today. We look forward to continuing to have you and the team on as this uh, partnership grows, and uh, we wish you well. Speak to you soon. David, thank you. It was great. Thanks for listening in to Baselayer. If you like the show and all the different guests that we've brought on, please give a like and subscribe on Apple or Spotify or wherever you do listen to the podcast. Also, if you want to have a conversation or reach out to me, you can reach me out on Twitter at David J. Nage. And let's talk there. Or also you can find me on LinkedIn. And I look forward to having great conversations with you all about digital assets. This podcast is presented by Blockworks Group, one of the best digital asset event and media production companies that I know of. For exclusive content and events that provide insight into digital assets, visit them at blockworksgroup.io. You won't be disappointed.